When Chris and I started this project, it was to focus on the albums and bands that we've enjoyed over the years. Every now and then, a band comes around and changes the way people feel about music, and through the years, they grace us with album after album. Much like a warm blanket on a cold winter's day, we rush to the security that their tunes bring. 2020 was a crazy year, and 2021, well, it's shaping up to be a doozy too. When the Foo Fighters announced a new album, the rock and roll world took a collective sigh of relief. Finally, some good news. Some form of normalcy was on the horizon. Hopefully, it isn't like the rest of last year. It was with those thoughts that we turn our attention to the brand new Foo Fighters album, 2021's Medicine at Midnight, this week on Two Dudes and Tunes. Welcome, one and all, to Two Dudes and Tunes. I'm Wood. The dude who always joins me on these most musical of musings is Chris. Chris, how goes it? Uh, I'm thawing out. That's that's what's going on right now. It has been cold. I, I contemplated doing the podcast today with the uh, FDR blanket on my lap. And I'm already in a sweater and slippers, so <laughs> I, I'm doing good other than just trying to stay warm. Man, I feel you. Uh, just like last week where I was on the road, this week I'm on the road for work again, and I'm in lovely Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they are preparing for snowpocalypse to hit tonight. So tomorrow morning when I wake up, it'll be hitting the road and trying to outrun that storm uh, before Ugh. it gets here. But as it is right now, there's a couple of inches of snow and lots of ice on the ground, and I think the high today was like 17 degrees. So I'm, I'm tired of being cold. I've been here for two days and I'm going back yeah. south to San Antonio where I can warm up. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah. This is the, uh, this is the one time that you can claim that you are like legitimately colder than me. Cause for the longest time I was in Kansas and if there's any place worse than Oklahoma. It's Kansas, at well, least during the winter. Cause it is just abysmal. You say that jokingly, I'll be there in like two weeks, so uh, I'll, I'll report back at that point in time. Where are you going in Kansas? Uh, Wichita and then up to Kansas City on the Missouri-Kansas border. Uh, Wichita is a fun city. So Megan and I lived in McPherson, which is like an hour north of there, south mm -hmm. of there. It's an hour away. <laughs> Mm -hmm. One of those cardinal directions. Make this place a geographical audit. I don't know. Wichita just has a lot of cool stuff. There were fun dive bars that uh, uh, my brother-in-law in his band, we, we would go up there and play. And there's a cool sandwich place up there. That's like a brewery slash sandwich place. I need to look up the name of it and text it to you. But yeah, Wichita is a great place. So despite the cold, I think you could find something fun to do up there. Nice, man. Well, what else is new with you this week? Well, not a whole lot in the realm of keeping warm. Uh, my job is gracious enough to provide a yearly stipend for work boots. Mm -hmm. And it seems like kind of a little thing, right? That uh, getting work boots would be that great. But they give us a pretty generous stipend. So I got some super comfortable Carhartts. They're super warm just in time for the cold weather. So honestly, that's kind of been the highlight of my week is my feet being comfortable at work. It's been 
really nice actually nice that's awesome man there's nothing like a good set of boots uh i know when i go out and get mine every year i uh, really appreciate them well what's going on with you uh well so i've been listening to a lot of uh dungeons and dragons podcasts and i think i mentioned last week i've never played i've never rolled a single die playing dungeons and dragons but uh, something over the weekend kind of snapped and I decided I was going in head first. And, uh, so I bought all the, the core books and the starter set and I officially can say I'm one of those adults now. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited for you. I'm a little bit envious to be honest with you because I got into like real play D and D podcasts at some point last year and boy, it sounds like fun. Like if we were only in the same city. maybe and what's so great about that podcast medium in general is it's kind of a throwback to the old school radio uh telenovela type thing the the radio plays that were really bad 50s and 60s and even before that i guess so it's a lot of fun to see that kind of living in that medium and i want to i want to see if i can improv that way because they're they're great yeah the i if you if you want a uh, a novice in the world of improv and D and D to uh, bumble along with you, give me a call <laughs> because if you need like a, a town, uh, like the town fool, to follow your party around, I will do that. We'll we'll have to see if we can set something up for that. I think it'd be fun to do a, a virtual game, and we can learn it together. Yeah, that sounds good, man. Let me know. You've been listening to. You've been listening to anything new these week, this week? I have actually. So it's kind of new music, but not really. Uh, Megan is really, my wife is really good at digging around and looking for new music. She's better at that than I am. And I think it's just because she pays attention, right? Because uh, we use uh, Apple Music. Mm-hmm. And there's, I'm sure all music apps have this, but there's always a if you liked this, why don't you try this? And so she picked up on some of the artists that were popping up when we were, I think we were like driving to HEB or something like that. Uh, But anyway, uh, the first album that we've been listening to a lot is this album called Low Tom. And that's the name of the band. It's an eponymous album of theirs. And it's, kind of a super band i don't know if it qualifies as a super band if i only know who two out of the four guys are it's kind of a super band if you're into indie music um but the guy who i'm familiar with who megan and i have actually seen live is david bazan he's a a singer songwriter from uh, from out west and so it's him uh trey many tw walsh and Jason Martin, mm-hmm. and those guys are, are are from a couple of related bands, Starflyer Fifty Nine. A couple of them have been in, and then the band that probably most of our listeners, if they know who David Bazan is, they probably know him from Pedro the Lion, uh, which him and T W Walsh were in. Uh, and it's real cool. It's kind of a fun mix of. 70s sort of classic rock but also very much influenced by david bazan's instincts as a guitarist and a songwriter 
I don't know. It's like, it's a really fun rock record is what I would say. And David Bazan always brings a lot of thoughtfulness to his songwriting. Uh, And he's on our list. So I've been listening to low Tom and then another band that's, it's their first album. uh, And it's eponymous. So uh, greater Pyrenees, kind of like the dog, great Pyrenees, Mm -hmm. but greater Pyrenees. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy, the front man for it, uh, his name is Sean Kirkpatrick. And he was a guitarist in a band called Color Revolt, which is another band that is on our list. Uh, And another band that Megan and I really love that we kind of connected over together. Um, And it's kind of more, it's not heavy rock and it's a little bit more atmospheric, a little bit more contemplative, I think. If you're wanting like a softer listen, it's kind of where to go. It's really good, but like a little bit more modern, I think, than maybe Low Tom is. But those are the two albums that have been kind of playing over and over in my head. Is there anything new that you've been listening to or just the uh, Real Play podcasts? So I've listened to a lot of Real Play podcasts, um, but then kind of in between that and an audiobook that I've been listening through that I won't bore anybody with. Uh, <laughs> is it about I, economics or money theory? It actually is. So <laughs> I knew it. Uh, <laughs> so um, uh, I, this week uh, on, on my original music list, I had excluded a particular musician because uh, as I was putting the list together, he's a, a guy that my wife, Tiffany, doesn't necessarily enjoy. Uh, she calls him frustrating because his music is kind of bipolar, um, even like a lot of highs and lows dynamically or different themes or what. So he he is kind of a, an enigma, and that's one of the reasons I like him. So it's high and low dynamically, and then it's like top 40 country almost to mm-hmm. almost like death metal all in oh, one fun. album. Like, and she doesn't like this? No, not at all. <laughs> and so uh, I love him just because he's got a great voice. He's got a great tune, great sound to uh, to the way he composes music and everything. Uh, and to to not bury the lead, it's Sturgill Simpson is his name. Oh, uh, I I get I get what Tiffany's saying. Yeah, he's <laughs> out there, but I so, mean it's. It's better than the country that's on the radio. Well, and somehow I missed that there was a volume two to his Cut and Grass album. So in the first half of 2020, he released Cut and Grass volume one. And then in the last mm-hmm. half, he uh, released volume two. And so I listened to both of those albums kind of side by side on my drive up here. Uh, and then also to uh, his album, uh, A Sailor's Guide to Earth. Uh, which is kind of the one that launched him back in 2016. He'd had a couple of other albums before that, but they weren't really popular per se. I think that's the one that I've heard from him. Well, so the one that's in the, in between. So 2016, he released a sailor's guide to earth and it's a great song, great album with lots of great lyrics and it tells a beautiful story. And then in 2019, he released an album called uh, sound and fury and it's just angry like the whole album is just uh, amazingly angry it's so that's good that's fantastic uh, i'm gonna have of, to check that out lots of rough like dirty guitar riffs like it's just a great album but then 
followed up with Cutting Grass, and it's basically like an acoustic album for the most part. You know, just songs that he would play while riding around on his lawnmower kind of thing. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so, I love it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Tiffany's not a big fan, and he did not make the original list when I was composing it, but uh, back when we were kind of modernizing the list uh, a couple weeks ago, I threw a couple of his albums on there because I think we can have some great conversations about them. Good, so, good. I'm always looking for country that kind of breaks the mold. Oh, there is no mold. He breaks the mold between every song. Oh, fantastic. That's that's even better. <laughs> and his albums are available. Most All of them, to my knowledge, are available on vinyl as vinyl pressings as as first mm. release medium so like you can buy them on vinyl before they're even on spotify oh that's very cool so i like yeah. that a lot and, and he does really groovy uh, vinyl colors so like cut and grass volume one it's yellow and green like neon colored artwork and the the vinyl uh, pressing uh, uh. is neon yellow so it sticks out like oh a that's excellent it's great <laughs> that's super cool yeah anyhow so uh think that's about all we've got for like chit chat here at the beginning of the show uh this week we're talking uh about medicine at midnight so two weeks in a row with foo fighters how do you feel about that man i so i was excited and and i mean i'm i'm still excited but um yeah i don't know (laughs) this this album was a little bit of a challenge but um before we get into that just want to throw out there just a reminder you guys have heard us say this three or four times now if you're enjoying our discussions please 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 go ahead and drop a like or a few thumbs stars whatever the case is let us know what you think if you like it even if you dislike it you know give us some hints neither of us are professional podcasters um, and also, you know, if your abuse is funny enough or if your comments are edifying enough, we might use them for a segment. So uh, if you're craving your five minutes of fame from two dudes and tunes, uh, please go ahead and give us a few comments. Yeah, and to kind of add to that, you know, if you have anything that you want to say or anything that you think could help add to our conversation about a specific episode or how we're producing this, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, by sending us an email uh, at two dudes and tunes at gmail.com, all spelled out. Uh, and you can follow us on Instagram at two dudes and tunes, where we'll be posting pretty regularly as episodes release and things are going on with, uh, with the show. Uh, we'd love to interact with you, like we say every week. It's what we're here for. Absolutely. Please feel free to uh, add to the discourse, as it were. All right, Chris. Medicine at Midnight. And I think this is going to probably be a fairly rare occurrence where we take take a new album release, but both of us feel strongly enough about Dave Grohl and the guys over at Foo Fighters that we wanted to go ahead and jump this one in and tell fate to, to go away for a week. So uh, let's get into it. Yeah, so this album, uh, Medicine at Midnight, was released... February 5th, obviously, of this year. And they kind of wanted to go in a popular direction. So they hired this producer, Greg Kirsten, who's produced a ton of super poppy acts. So like Adele, Sia, Kelly Clarkson, and then some like rock adjacent 
people like Beck and then Paul McCartney, who's like king daddy of rock and roll, you know? So he's got like a widespread, but it's really oriented towards pop. He was kind of, Dave Grohl is kind of shooting for kind of a dancier sound. Um, and to just kind of preview, I think how probably both of us felt about it. Cause we've talked about it a little bit on text. It felt like that kind of fell flat, but I was thinking about it. Oh, no. What were you going to say? You, you took a breath. <laughs> so I'm not sure that it falls flat. I think that it fell into the category of poorly executed. Like it's, it's decent music or whatever, but it just seems like it's a garage sessions. And what kind of cemented that feeling to me was earlier today, you sent me a text with a music video of a live performance of this, uh, of one of the songs from this album. And it felt great in that context, watching a live performance and everybody's up there doing it live in, you know, like a coffee shop setting that felt right for this album. It just doesn't, deliver as an album on you know a personal listening experience see that it's interesting because i think i think i think you and i have inverse opinions of this album uh because i enjoyed the production like i thought i thought that the sound of it was good but i didn't like the music that much like uh, the riffs and the melodies kind of fell flat. Um, the production so to me, just, yeah, to, just, to, just to say this and get it out there in the open, the production felt like they took a used MXL microphone, put it in the middle of a garage. Everybody turned their amps up and they just recorded a stereo track of whatever they got. That's what it feels like to me. <laughs> Yeah. See, I, I think you read, you read the ambience as kind of trashy and I kind of felt it lent some life to songs that were otherwise kind of like flat. Mm -hmm. Yes. But yeah. what's in, what's interesting to me about this, like the reason I bring up the producer and the fact that he specifically wanted the album to be a little dancey is Queens of the Stone Age made the same choice in 2017 with their album villains mm -hmm. and that's an album that i really like like it's not my favorite queens of the stone age album ever but i think something i don't know two two really big rock bands um two pop producers because they hired mark ronson who uh who who did uh, uptown funk you know, he did that. He helped Amy Winehouse produce Back to Black. He's produced Adele also, which he shares that in common with Greg Kirsten. He's produced Lady Gaga, Miley Cyrus. And these are two bands that are super talented to me. Uh, or I, I perceive them to be real talented. And yet, like at least for me, one of these albums like fell kind of flat. The other one, like... I don't know. The other one just seems more lively. But you, you, you said you like the the songs a lot. You think the songs are pretty good? Well, I think that the songs are better in light of a live performance. I think the lyrics yeah. on this album, with one or two exceptions, the the meaning behind the songs is absolute trash. 
like this is back to writing the lyrics after you've put music together and hoping that something sticks. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Philosophically speaking, I felt like this uh, this album was kind of you know dining off the dollar menu, so to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So I feel like the music was better from a when you're watching it live, you've got a or a recording of it live, you've got a lot less you're a lot less critical of the performances or a lot less, you know, exacting in what you expect to hear. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I feel like you're, pardon my ignorance on this, but I felt like this album sounded a lot like the demo tape that uh, they released probably 15 years ago now of Nirvana, that it was literally just like recorded in a garage uh, I can't remember what the name of that project was, but it was something that they'd found somewhere and they released it through RCA. And yeah. um, this just felt very similar to that. Like this is a band that is probably great and would probably be great if they got a real studio deal, but here's their demo tape for right now is what this felt like to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is a, a it's a band who has done a lot of records, a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I can, even if I don't agree, like the album did hit me that same way. They did. I mean, they went, they went to like a, a big old mansion in Encino mm-hmm. to record this. And it, you know, as we're talking about it, it occurs to me if they wanted a poppier feel to the record. Why did they record it there? Um, maybe that's a part of the disconnect for you that these songs are probably better delivered in a poppier package, you know, cause we, I think we had texted about it. You know, um, I liked the sound of the drums and shame, shame, but mm-hmm. to you, it sounded like it was being recorded on, you know, somebody's iPhone well, just being held up, you know? Like, well, so I wonder if maybe the medium didn't match the message per se. I think there's probably a point to that. And also through text, you and I had talked about, I feel like the single that was released, you know, back in early January of shame, shame, you know, we had a little snippet talking about it when those tracks dropped and both of us, you know, dumped on shame, shame as being the weakest of those three tracks. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I feel like I feel like they changed the mix significantly between when it was released as a single and what's here on the album. It feels a lot better than than it did as a single in context yeah. of the whole album. And that's probably giving away part of my review here in a minute. But it feels like it fits better. And I like it a lot better than I did when we first reviewed those three singles that were dropped. Um, and I think the drums are what drive that track and the drums are probably one of the best parts of that track. Oh, absolutely. That was, that was what hit me about it. I wanted to like it more when we were talking about it initially, when it was released as, as a single, um, because that drum groove is so infectious. Yeah. It's very, and I even, I even thought when I was listening to the album, uh, when it released, so the day after we did Echo Silence, Patience and Grace, 
I popped that album on while I was like making breakfast and coffee and stuff. And like the, that song felt better in the context of like the track list mm -hmm. and stuff. So I kind of, I mean, there may be something to that cause it, it did feel fresher and newer. So I don't know if that's the tracks around it or maybe it got changed a little bit in mastering the album or what, but it, it kind of, struck me the same way as like, Oh, this is a little better than I remember it being. Well, and that may, like you said, I think it has a lot to do with the way the album is arranged. It's the second track in the album and making a fire, which is the first track leads mm -hmm. straight into it. You know, when yeah. you're listening to it, it just kind of, it just happens. And so it's not as abrupt that drum uh, line takes over and it just, it fits. So kudos on that part because when it was a single i absolutely hated that song as a single <laughs> yeah well and you know it's kind of funny just to make some callbacks to some of our other episodes uh, i had kind of an inverse of that effect when we were listening to the wall because by the time I got to comfortably numb i was annoyed mm -hmm. <laughs> and so whereas i hear that album on the radio in the car, I'm like, Oh yes. And I turn it up. But you know, when I'm having a slog through like 30 tracks or whatever, it kind of becomes super tiresome. Yeah. You're worn out by the so time. That's, that's kind of funny. Well, let's talk a little bit about the production of this album. Uh, this started in, I guess about 2018 when Foo Fighters were technically on a break after their tour for concrete and gold. We were on a break. <laughs> Yeah, um, so it's really, you can see the similarities in certain creative types because they were on a break. They had just gotten off this big, long tour. You know, they're, I mean, they're the Foo Fighters, so they probably ran themselves ragged touring. Mm -hmm. But Dave Garol just can't sit still. I don't think he has... I don't think he has the ability. So he wrote a bunch of tracks during pretty much a year from October, 2018 to August of 2018 or 2019. Dave Rigol was toiling away on some demos and it only took them a couple months as a band to kind of arrange the songs and get ready to record. Um, and I don't, I don't know, like to me, some of that speaks to how I feel about the album is because these songs are serviceable in my opinion. Like they kind of hit me a little bit lukewarm. It's a, so very, it's a very radio friendly album. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It, I, I would not, I wouldn't say it feels half baked. Um, Cause I mean, Dave Grohl took a year working on the, de uh, on the demos of it. But you're right, it is super radio friendly. And it only it only took them about five months to record the whole thing, October 2019 to February 2020. They were like in and out. Mm -hmm. Well, and going back just a second to the Concrete and Gold tour, that was 113 shows in like 16 months. Uh, divided across eight legs Woof. in Europe, Asia, 
uh, South America, Africa, and North America. So I didn't realize they toured that so extensively. Yeah, between June 16th, 2017, and October 23rd, 2018, with several breaks in between, you know, eight legs, like I said. Uh, and it drew more than $115 million in revenue. Jeez. Oh, to be Dave Grohl. But, you know, <laughs> that that's the thing that's so impressive about him is he can be... He can be so productive and the gears can be turning for him always. And mm -hmm. so then he gets to the end of a touring cycle like that and he's still like, oh man, I got all these demos. Like I've got to produce, you yeah. know. Well, and you mentioned the the old mansion in Encino uh, that they used to record. How much of that, you know, environment do you think influenced his his writing or his recording for this this album i don't know you know he recorded it you know they recorded in that mansion but i don't know what the writing process was like for him i don't know what was going on in his head because i think he just you know i don't know where he recorded the demos but you have to presume you know he was either at his house or maybe his home studio or something um but the thing that's interesting about that mansion is that they kind of had some, like, spooky goings-on. Dave Grohl said the vibes were off, but the sound was on. And so I don't know if, I mean, that could have influenced some of the production of the album because, like, they would show up and tracks would be missing or tracks would be open in Pro Tools and there would be, like, just, like empty space or air being recorded mm -hmm. and they well, even like i'm gonna go ahead and say that's just pro tools and they can sue me if they want <laughs> that's the that sounds like the voice of experience <laughs> speaking um but they even i think they even like set up cameras and did like a ghost hunters thing but the guy who owns the mansion uh is trying to sell it i guess so they had to sign an nda which is uh, like a really disappointing into that story because I want to know like what a what ghost is going to be mean enough to haunt Dave Grohl like he's such a sweet guy <laughs> so I don't know I don't know if they mistook him for somebody else like but um you know we'll never know because he signed an NDA and he seems like a pretty honest guy yeah definitely if, if anything he's pretty upright yeah the um the tour that they had planned is yet another victim of COVID uh, because they were going to do the like, Oh, remember when we used to be like a young scrappy band? They were, Dave Grohl actually bought the van that they used for their first tour. And they were going to run around to, I think it was like 25 or 30 cities that they had did on their very first tour mm -hmm. in this like, crappy van um but you know 2020 being what it is they couldn't do that so it'll be interesting to see if they resurrect that idea for 2021 i kind of think they should just because i want to well, go see them there's a there's a really big popular craft brewery uh on the west coast and they have been 2020 was like their 40th anniversary and for 
2020, their plan was to load up their original brewing system on a semi-truck trailer and drive it to all these craft beer festivals to show off uh-huh. where they started from. And uh, Oh, that would have been great. And so this seems like that kind of thing where they could take the crappy van and put it on a trailer and enclose it kind of like they do with like race cars and just show the uh-huh. van off while they're on tour. Yeah. You know, have, have it up on the stage on a turntable while they're. Oh man. That'd be a pretty that would cool be great. show. I would love that. You know, he's such a fun guy. Like he seems like the kind of guy you would want to have a beer with when he was, I think for the concrete and gold tour during part of that tour, he broke his leg mm-hmm. in like a stage accident. And a, for that show, he finished it. He got patched up. They put him in a cast and he finished the show from a chair, which doesn't sound super rock and roll. But when you think about having freshly broken your leg and you're sitting through a three hour Foo Fighter show is incredible. Yeah, definitely. But, but the thing that was cool to me is instead of just canceling the tour, which any anybody would have a right to, you know, like, sorry, broke my leg, got to cancel the tour. He just had a throne of guitars constructed and <laughs> played from his throne for the rest of the tour. That is super cool. Hey. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put the van on a turntable thing past him. And I would love to see like this big old Dodge whatever just like rotating <laughs> around slowly. Especially if they drive it onto the stage and jump out of it. Like that'd yes. be so badass. Oh man, that would be great. Let's talk about the singles on this album one more time. I mean, I know this is a rehashing from uh, three or four episodes ago, but those three singles that were released were Shame, Shame, No Son of Mine, and Waiting on a War. How do you think the singles pair up now that we've kind of moved into the the album days with this one? I think this. I think they did a good job picking singles because the three tunes that they picked are very much indicative of their sound as a whole. The only possible exception being shame, shame. That was kind of their like, look, we're doing something different kind of track. But I really liked no son of mine and waiting on a war. Cause they both had that kind of anthemic mm-hmm. arena rock mm-hmm. feel. Um, and no son of mine specifically, I really enjoyed because it was very, very much like a motorhead type of heavy metal riff and his vocals on that song are really fun. Um, and I, I liked the singles because they weren't just the best thing off the album. There were some other tracks that I did really enjoy that were still a surprise. You know, sometimes it's like seeing the funniest parts of a comedy in the trailer for the comedy. And then the rest of the thing can be kind of a drag. I feel like they picked well. What, what did you think about them in the context of like the rest of the album and what have you? So I think the three singles here were a great selection of the album as a whole. Like you listen to those three tracks and you have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen on medicine at midnight as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't deviate from what the rest of the album is, which is pretty cool. Sometimes you get those singles that come out and it's totally out of left field. Um, For instance, uh, one of the singles from, Michael Jackson's Dangerous was the the Heal the World song that is nothing like the rest of the album. Yeah. Um, just 
talk about Real misleading. Scratcher. Yeah, talk yeah. about misleading yeah. if you're like trying to produce an album or trying to uh, to uh, promote an album. Uh, I still think as singles, I don't think Shame Shame should have been released as a single. Um, it's a great song in the context of the album and it's a fun tune and I enjoy it, but it still has the tarnish of it was released as a single. I heard it first and I, I remember not liking it versus liking it now in the context of the album. It is a little bit of a strange choice because like we kind of said, when we were talking about the singles a few episodes ago, it's a little static mm-hmm. and they, they, regardless of my feelings about it, these songs have the very recognizable high and low dynamic shifts that everybody associates with the Foo Fighters. And, you know, even something like love dies young, yep. uh, not a track that I liked particularly, but it sounded very radio friendly to me. Um, and I kind of wonder if that has to do with, at this point, Dave Grohl and company have put out, this is album number 10. Mm-hmm. So if Shame Shame was kind of his baby, you know, like I, what I imagine is that maybe him and Taylor Hawkins sat down and worked out that super cool groove and wrote a song around it. You know, he's got the clout to be able to say to a label like, now let's push this. Yeah, exactly. And so I don't, I don't know. That's based on just me just guessing, but you know, I think think if you're going to pick three singles for this album, medicine at midnight should have been one of the three singles. Yeah. I, the, the title track does seem like a weird thing to not include because it was, it was a really good, like mid tempo Mm -hmm. rocker had a sweet guitar solo in the middle, kind of like indicative of the rest of the album. Well, and it had a lot of that early to middle Foo Fighters feeling to it. Like you listen to some of the early Foo Fighters stuff and medicine at midnight sounds a lot like some of their original stuff. So if you're looking to promote the Foo Fighters new album, why not the title track that sounds like them? Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. It's, you know, it's maybe a weird choice to include shame, shame over some of those others, but, um, as a whole, they're at least good representations of what the rest of the album wound up being, which is kind of nice. No, but I didn't feel misled by the album. That wasn't why I was disappointed in it. True. Yeah, I agree. I felt like there was a good representation of the album, like I said. And overall, you know, looking at critical reception, we're still early on in the critical's reviewing and, you know, history will tell us if this is a good album or not when we start seeing releases about how it performs uh, for the Foo Fighters. But so far it's got a 75 on Metacritic. Uh, I would expect to see that number probably dip a little bit as more people review it and get their reviews out there. Uh, But 75 is very respectable. Yeah, I was, I was probably a little tainted by my opinion of the album that it did so well. Um, you know, it got a, like you said, it got a 75 on Metacritic. And uh, I don't know if you're, are you familiar with Kerrang? Yeah. Uh, kind of like heavy metal yeah. magazine or whatever. They really loved it. Four out of five stars. 
Nick Ruskell said that Medicine at Midnight is an exhibition of just what a simply fundamentally good band Foo Fighters are and how skilled with a tune and melody Dave Grohl is. Well, I want to say something about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a great point about it being a fundamentally skilled album. Mm -hmm. There is not a fundamental problem with this. This album has a lot of the Tim Duncan-esque, just back to the basics, rock fundamentals going for it. Even for trying to be a pop album. Yeah, it's funny. The the musicianship is not at all what I fault the album for. Because for me, I kind of, I agreed a little bit more with Pitchfork's assessment. They were, you know, as Pitchfork is, like... (laughs) Mean? Yeah, mean. (laughs) Uh, Jeremy D. Larson says that a Foo Fighters record rolls out in the same way Taco Bell rolls out a new menu item. A nominal twist on the same five or so ingredients. Now, I like Taco Bell, (laughs) so I don't know if that means I'm not qualified to do this podcast or eat dinner or both. Um, But I did kind of feel like, like the musicianship was good, right? The songs aren't, I wouldn't say the songs are fundamentally flawed, but it just kind of felt to me like they were phoning it in. Like a lot of the negative reviews that I read, um, like this one from the guardian, uh, kind of talks a a little, this quote is more about their approach, but it kind of says something to me about the nature of them as a band. Uh, Grohl has changed the melodies by which the Foo Fighters recorded albums without actually changing much about the music they contain. And, and that's the thing, like, they recorded these slightly poppier tunes in a haunted mansion. And still, some of it just felt flat, like the line about um, guillotine queen, bang, 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 like that kind of stuff. A lot of that sort of, you expect Dave Grohl to do something like that, but depending on the kind of fan you are, it could feel really... Know, kind of cheesy, maybe a little too radio friendly. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's my problem is I'm a stick in the mud and I don't like radio friendly stuff all the time. Um, well, I feel like has- I feel like it's just a letdown. You know, you expect so much from a band like the Foo Fighters because you know mm-hmm. how meticulous they are. Taylor Hawkins, uh, uh, Mr. Grohl. You know, they they are so into what they're doing and passionate about what they're doing that when something like this comes out and it's just, eh, it's just a huge letdown. Like by any other band, this would be a smash success. Pitchfork would be giving it 10 stars and doing cartwheels for it. But because it's Foo Fighters, it's a letdown. And I, I think that is, that is probably the story of a lot of bands uh, who have, a lot of big success. I mean, you look at any, you know, look at somebody like Aerosmith or ACDC, you and I have even talked about Mm -hmm. where there's that lightning in the, in a bottle that can last a really good band a long time. You know, (laughs) both Aerosmith and ACDC have cranked out some great rock records. Uh, ACDC, ACDC survived a new front man. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but you know, uh, you can only produce, you have to be someone really magical to only ever make hits, you know? Well, one of my favorite ACDC quotes, and it's so enigmatic of what they are, is a reporter uh, asked one of the band members, uh, how does it feel to have released the same album 11 times and somehow made it successful? And he answered back, excuse me, sir. We've released the same album 12 times and have made it successful. (laughs) Yeah. And, and you know, like, so the, the analogy that I'm going to make, I told myself I wasn't going to make it because it's someone else's analogy, but I have to bring it up because it was such a good piece of writing and I can't remember who did it. So apologies if you wrote this, but somebody a while back, it may have been when they were doing Sonic highways, a publication did every Foo Fighters song up to that point ranked. Mm -hmm. So it's this big hundreds of entries long article. And what they started off by saying was they kind of compared the Foo Fighters to procedural TV. You know, some bands are going to be like the wire, right? They're groundbreaking. They do their thing and they're done and they broke the mold. But, they compared the Foo Fighters to Law and Order, <laughs> which, okay, that sounds terrible, right? But think about it. Like, Law and Order has been around is, for 30 years and is reliably good. You mm-hmm. can turn on an episode of Law and Order and enjoy it. Some of them are even great, but all of them are going to be passable. And, like, for me, this record kind of fell into the like, well, I don't hate it category, you know, <laughs> which is probably damning with faint praise. But that it seemed to me like a lot of the critics, if they had a problem with this, it was just like, yeah, I mean, it's not terrible. So this album for me, my first listening experience to it was driving home from Dallas the day after we recorded last week. And it popped up in my feed that it was ready to be played at about noon. And I was, you know, driving 85 miles an hour down the the 130 toll road to home. uh, And I started playing it. And just that listening experience was great because I'm not really paying attention. It's it's a great Mm -hmm. just background. Oh, yeah. Listen to the Foo Fighters. This is great. It was the second and third listening where I sat down at home and really listened to it and tuned out everything else that was going on in life where it started to show some of those flaws. And I feel like yeah. that, I feel like that is the same with like a law and order thing. Like it's great entertainment, but if you're trying to get anything more out of it, just, just stop trying. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, part of my problem with them as a band now kind of goes back to, that point you know at their peak of their abilities they're writing songs like times like these or ever long monkey wrench um you know any of their big tunes are great are they hit they hit real big highs in songwriting they hit real big highs in musicianship So when I listen to them, I'm kind of expecting that. Mm -hmm. 
And so like when I put this album on, I was like fixing breakfast and doing mindless things. So the only thing to occupy my time was, or occupy my brain rather, was this album. And so with all that baggage of expectation and nothing really to distract my mind, like a drive from Dallas to San Antonio, I think the like flaws in it, the like chinks in the armor were really evident. Man, Chris, I think those are some great thoughts. Uh, I think we need to get into our reviews though, to really put, put the sign sealed and delivered on this album uh, to remind our guests or our listeners. uh, We do a one to six guitar string reviews uh, system. One guitar string is technically the worst album you've ever heard uh, recorded by some high school band that they learned three chords and they're ready to go. And are you picking on me right now? I feel like you're picking on past me. <laughs> no, not, not, not so much. I'm picking on past me for sure. Uh, and then, cause I never learned anything past those three chords. Uh, hey. At least you stuck with it. And, uh, I did. <laughs> and then six strings would be, uh, a, a great album by the greatest band of all time. Uh, with that said, Chris, give me your review on medicine at midnight. Yeah. Before I do that, I just want to point out, I did stick with it and I drive a forklift for a living. So <laughs> time and history will be the judge of who made the better choice. Um, but yeah, this album was tough for me. Uh, tough for me in ways that are familiar to me with other bands. They're, the Foo Fighters are... I mean, they're at their peak. They are some of the best rock music and some of my favorite rock songs are written by the Foo Fighters. And so to hear a band kind of phone it in, it almost makes their capabilities more frustrating and infuriated or not infuriating, but you know, to see and hear somebody underachieve, can be super frustrating. Um, I would, I would rather hear somebody take a big swing and a miss than to do some of the same things that work in a slightly different package. You know, there's songs on this album that I really like. I mentioned no son of mine. Um, Waiting on a War is a fantastic song. That's the kind of song that if I were at a Foo Fighters show and they started playing it, I would get super excited. But there's really sleepy stuff. I really didn't care for the final track, uh, Love Dies Young. I thought it was kind of weirdly the lyrics didn't match the energy of the song. Chasing Birds, which I think you and I have some things to say about, was super sleepy and dull. Um, Cloud Spotter, the lyrics made no sense to me whatsoever. And so it just felt like such a dud that didn't have to be because there are some good songs on the record. Um, you know, the strongest material for me from this album goes at the bottom of the Foo Fighters barrel along with most of Sonic highways and a good chunk of concrete and gold. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm an old 
fogey who just doesn't enjoy their new material as much. Um, and so even though it kind of makes me an insufferable hipster, I'm going to give this album two out of six strings just because I know they can do better um, and they haven't done much worse. So those are my thoughts for this over-the-counter medicine at midnight. <laughs> well, if it's over-the-counter medicine at midnight, I'm going to say it's generic over-the-counter medicine at midnight. It's it's the yeah. Walmart brand Tylenol, not the actual Tylenol. Oh, it's for sure the weird CVS brand that has almost no markings on the box other than just what it is and what it does. Hey, but you get so that did, really long receipt that you can use for toilet paper during the apocalypse. Yes, and I mean, if you're buying laxatives, you need the toilet paper, so <laughs> it's great. It just all comes together. But what you you have very different feelings about this album, I think. So tell me about it. What was your rating for this album? Actually, I don't think we're that far apart at the end of the day. Um, I really wanted to love this album. I've felt... Uh, a certain affinity for Dave Grohl and for the Foo Fighters over the years. Uh, and I really enjoy their music. And when they announced that they were releasing this album uh, way back when, when they were hinting at it in 2020 and then announced that it was delayed to 21. Uh, and then they finally released the the singles. I was pumped, like waking up in the middle of the night when the out, the uh, singles dropped to Spotify so I could listen to them within minutes of being notified. Uh-huh. And I got to be honest, my excitement dimmed when I heard those three songs. It was not, <laughs> it was not what I was hoping for. Um, yeah. And I think I even mentioned, you know, I just hope, I just hope it's better than this, uh, that mm-hmm. we're just getting a taste of a greater vision uh, a month ago. And really it wasn't. And it feels like even though they delayed the album, it just feels like this album is recovering from COVID. Like it's just sickly. It's thin. It's, uh-huh. it's not substantial. It's missing all the pieces, you know, it, all the pieces are there, but it's missing the substance that makes the pieces great. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, if you put this album on while you're driving or you have something else to occupy your mind, it's a good album. It's entertaining. It's easy to listen to. It's not offensive uh, to like your ability to focus on other things. But that's one of the reasons that I think it falls short is it doesn't draw you in. It doesn't make you focus on it. It's easy to put it on and then do something else while you're, you're listening to it. And because of that, I feel like this is a three out of six string album. Um, and I probably would have it down there at two out of six if there weren't two songs on this album that will be on my phone for a long time to come uh, as just part of my rotating playlist. At least there's you know something here that I really, really like uh, to, to have for the future. And I can look back on and go, yeah, those were great. So they, they give it an extra string because there's two songs that really hit for me. Yeah. Well, which which ones were they? What what were your favorite tracks off this album? So uh, looking at our show notes, you and I have a little bit of crossover here. Mm-hmm. Um, the two for me that just really stand out as being head and shoulders above the rest are Waiting on a War, which is one yeah. of the singles. And mm-hmm. I love the message of that song. I love the the tone of it. I love what all the instruments are doing throughout the song. Kind of going back to our discussion last week, every instrument 
has its moment in that song where it's doing something and it's engaging and the vocals are great. Um, and then medicine at midnight. I think it's a shame that that wasn't a single for this album. It is a great song and, uh, it should have had more of its due. Uh, and they're a sign of what good this album could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be, they will be saved to my phone and they will be on just my generic podcast or playlist that, you know, when the cell phone signal goes out and I'm in the middle of Kansas, uh, they'll just play with the other music that I think is just amazing. And your cell signal will go out when you're in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that you have something to go on. What? Yeah, uh, man, as far as Medicine at Midnight goes, that song, I don't think it hit me as hard as it did you, but I really enjoyed the like Stevie Ray Vaughan impersonation that the solo does in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. I really like Chris Shiflett's playing. And I think that this album has a lot of fun stuff. As far as my favorite tracks go, I really liked No Son of Mine. Um, If you kind of look at the lyrics of that song, it's really a little bit of Dave Grohl kind of shaking his fist at religion. And, you know, it, the the lyrics are scathing, which I kind of enjoy mm-hmm. from him. He doesn't. I mean, he gets aggressive, but um, you know, it's nowhere near like levels of outrage like somebody like Rage Against the Machine would bring. But he kind of brings a little bit of that energy, and it it's not only in the music. I think in the lyrics, he kind of addresses it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you and I had the same. We got a daily double going for least favorite song, uh, which is Chasing Birds, right? You mm-hmm. you kind of agree? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Like, and this kind of goes back to my main point of hearing somebody who has done something better do the same thing but not as good. There is a lot of beautiful acoustic music, especially on In Your Honor that Dave Grohl has written and you know, whether he's writing about a girl or his hometown of, or his home state of Virginia, like Virginia moon, the song that he did a duet. Um, Oh, I've walked myself into a pod corner. You should leave this in. I can't remember who he does that duet with, but it's somebody (laughs) famous and the listeners should know, but hold on. I'm going to look it up and you can edit out this dumb space. Okay, after uh, frantic Googling, uh, it's Nora Jones. You know, that I, I, I don't remember exactly if that song was nominated for an Emmy or if they won an Emmy for In Your Honor. Do you win Emmys but, for music? Uh, <laughs> you sure don't. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but you do win Grammys. There you go. Um, uh, it was such a good song that the Emmy committee <laughs> wrote him an award. Um, but my long belabored point is Dave Grohl is good at acoustic stuff. He's good at it. And chasing birds is like just all the soul and charm sucked out of his talents. It's just such a snooze. The lyrics don't make any sense, but that was, that was my least favorite track on the album was chasing birds. 
and I'm glad you wrote a little bit more about it because my show note for what my least favorite track is literally, and I'm quoting chasing birds is not only the worst song on this album. It may be the worst Foo Fighters song ever. That's what I have to say about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree. It's the, the thing about the Foo Fighters is the more boring it is, the worse it is because they are hardly ever a boring band. Um, well, you have anything else? Any, any more knives we want to stick into the belly of this, <laughs> this album? No, nah, I just hope they do better next time because there will be a next time. Yeah. I mean, Dave Grohl's not going to quit. He's going to be one of those guys who soldiers on with like, uh, an oxygen tank and a wheelchair on stage. He's gonna, he's going to be rocking long after we live, uh, long after we leave this earth. Well, do you want to uh, spin the magic wheel or consult? What is it? Did we decide? Is it an oracle on a hill somewhere? Uh, it's chimes. Since the list resides in the in the cloud, it's the great oracle in the cloud. Okay, sweet. Unofficially sponsored by random.org, which gives us our random number from the list. Well, thank you, random.org. There you go. So I'm going to press the button and see... Uh, I believe we're picking from your list since uh, the last one we picked was from mine. So here we go. Chris, the Oracle decided on number two from your list, which is 1975's Pink Floyd album, Wish You Were Here. Hot dog. I feel like we're in a loop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know it. I know it. But that's what the Oracle has handed down. And it's, I mean, I like all these albums, honestly, but it's an album that I really, really like. So I'm excited. And uh, we wish that you listeners will be here <laughs> with us when we do our next episode. Awesome, Chris. Man, I had a great time hanging out with you this week, getting to talk about Medicine at Midnight, even if it wasn't everything we wanted. Uh I am looking forward to talking to you next week, and hopefully I will be doing it from my home studio where it is above zero degrees outside. Yes, do do yourself a favor, get home, and we'll talk about that next album. Absolutely, man. Have a good night.